Hi, I'm Andalisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And in this episode of Essential Cooking, we keep the hard cider conversation going, this time with Ryan Burke, the head cider maker at Angry Orchard. Ryan talks to us about all things hard cider, including how the apple made its way to North America from Kazakhstan, the key components of a well-balanced cider, and the ongoing pursuit of new apple varieties. Ryan, for you, when it comes to a collaborative cider, like what is that process like when you're working with somebody else? Sure. It So it really depends on the person. Um, <laughs> and I usually start there. Right. Um, it's easy to collaborate and the world usually doesn't need another collaboration. Um, there's like a collaboration culture right now across all industries and all kinds of brands. And, and you know, it's fun um, and it's fun to see it popping up across... Um, different industries as a, as something to bring, you know, people together around something. So like I sub, I don't mean to like take away from collaboration as a, as an idea, but it's also a thing that's like, it can, it can kind of get tired. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's all about the person first. Um, so you're and, pretty choosy when it comes to those things. I yeah. I yeah. mean, I, or, you know, it comes up the way that it came up with James. I didn't mm-hmm. know Sean. Um, right. I I knew about his wine only because of James. Mm-hmm. Um, James called me up and said, let's check this out. Come out to Michigan. And I was like, all right, sure. I'll come out to Michigan. Let's <laughs> go north. Um, let's go meet this guy. I, but I didn't like sign on a dotted line. Right. I, 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 I didn't, I could have walked in there and been like, this guy sucks and I don't like his <laughs> wine and it, we don't really vibe or this guy's great and I still don't really vibe with him and this isn't going to make sense for me. Um, and I, and if I had felt that way, that's what you right. know, I would have proceeded accordingly. <laughs> I would have walked out of the dorm and like, that was fun. Glad I came out to Michigan. Right. See you later. Thanks. Thanks for the gamay. Um, but that's not the way it went. Actually, we, we clicked right away. Um, Sean has, you know, Sean's interested in a lot of things beyond what he does. And so our conversation was more about those things and less about the collaboration. Um, and so that, that, that starts to click for me when we can connect on things outside of, you know, our chosen field of work. Um, and what does the process like? Yes. Well, it's always different. And I've done a series, you know, I've done several collaborations, um, in the States. I've done them overseas. Um, and in, it always really just, it's situational. Um, for me, it's, Oh, after, after it's about the person, it's then got to, in, in my case and with cider, you know, it's got to be about the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, ha- we have to be telling that story in some way. And so the best way I know how to elevate what I do and elevate my industry um, is to tell a varietal story. Mm-hmm. Um, because what people, what most people don't know about cider is, is the thing that makes cider the most special. And that is the apple varieties that go into a cider. Right. And so as an industry, we need to tell that story more and more and more. And the best way um, I know how to do it is to make that story exciting. And, you know, going back to a couple of minutes ago, collaborations are exciting and fun. So it's a good platform mm-hmm. to talk about the, di- the, the sameness and difference of terroir, of apple varieties, of making styles. Um, but if, we're, if we, we can tell all those stories and then we can elevate the, the varietal um, mm-hmm. And, and, and mention names that people have maybe never heard before. Yarlington Mill, Kingston Black, Dabinette, apple varieties that most people, unless you're at a total cider nerd, um, you probably don't know. And even cider nerds uh, might not know. Um, and so with Sean, you know, immediately the story was about varieties because we went up there and he had um, all these different single varietal fermentations 
Um, and it was kind of like, hey, what do you think about these? I don't really know what to do with them. I was like, oh, well, I think about these like every single day. Um, this, you know, this Kingston Black, this um, Yarlington Mill, this Dabinette. I mean, this is like my life. So, oh, I'm really interested to see what what your fermentations of these apples smell and taste like. And we just started there. So we start to layer and blend and taste and, you know, pull out characteristics, you know, this way or that way. Um, and, and that was is really the process. We sat in his, you know, QA lab and tasted through all this stuff and started to layer blends together um, in little beakers and stuff, you know, just right out of a, you know, seventh grade science lab <laughs> thing with some graduated <laughs> cylinders. Um, you know, so we're not scientists. We're, we're cider makers and winemakers, although Sean might... D- disagree with that. um, I'm not a scientist. I can say that for sure. And I think too, and to kind of like, to jump in, in the middle of that, you know, conversation, one thing that that set this apart was that we had the fruit. So we had Charles Pasenka, who people might remember from Leelanau Brewing Company. um, And he, he, he basically is living on an orchard right now with some century old trees that, you know, people don't realize a lot of the varietals that make cider interesting were torn out during prohibition and Michigan kind of went to a culinary fruit orchard system, you know, because when you're making apples for cider, you know, fermented cider, and then you're not allowed to sell alcohol, you switch quickly to like, you know, uh, culinary fruit. So a lot of the orchards around Michigan grow Macintosh, you know, John of Gold, now Honeycrisp is a big with Zestar. So, and those are delicious apples, but not super interesting for, for fermenting. But Charles right. up in Leelanau had some really um, incredible old trees and, you know, the property that he's on up there has a lot of Jim Harrison connections. So we uh, we kind of did this, um, you know, we're all Jim Harrison fans. So we, we named the cider Michigan English because these are Michigan trees that are of the English varietal. And obviously it's an English style cider. So that so that was kind of the, the fun uh, arc of the story was that, you know, Ryan and Sean headed off. And then our magic ingredient was that we had Charles who basically curated the fruit and brought us the varietals that really make cider interesting. When it comes to cooking with ciders. Can you talk a little bit about what what you're thinking about when it's going to when you're putting together a dish and how you're going to incorporate this very like most people don't cook with ciders. Yeah, it's true. And you know, so cooking with like sometimes we'll physically cook with it like I'll actually add, you know, cider to my cooking. But typically um, if I have a cider I'm really excited about, like if Ryan, you know, shows me the, you know, hey, this is what this is my cellar, here's what we have then I will certainly cook to the bottles. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that most chefs, I think, handle pairings in general, is if we have the established beverage, we cook to it. Right. If we just want to open up, you know, the pantry and just grab any any liquid we want, well, then we'll just make food and then pair to mm-hmm. that. Right. But with cider, obviously, we're more focused and I want to cook to the actual cider. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's very, you know, cider is typically uh, heavy acid. It's usually really crisp. Sometimes there's effervescence or, or actual CO2 sparkling. Um, a lot of sweetness. The sweetness is also different, if, whether it's back sweetened or arrested fermentation or ice wine or literal sugar. So, you know, for instance, like, you know, if you want to do a cooked fruit, you know, loves to be with an ice wine sweetener. Sugar, you know, maybe you want to get more fish sauce or spice if it's a literal sugar. If it's something like arrested fermentation, that has more of like a fresh fruit taste, like a more of like a juiciness. So maybe I'll do something that has like a raw fennel salad or, you know, something along those lines. And then more of your classic European styles, whether it's like Spanish style, which is, you know, kind of really acidic and kind of like, you know, almost oxidative that then I like to lean towards like aged cheeses and hams and more of your like, you know, funkier foods. 
So, I, so that's just kind of like the, the, the baseline. One of the mo- most perfect pairings we do with cider is usually green curry and, you know, some kind of like, you know, funky oxidative cider because the herbaceous notes of that cider with the actual herbs and funk of green curry is to me a, like a home run. Right. Oysters too. Oysters is another one. People always think champagne and by all means I agree, but sometimes like champagne to me is like sometimes just alone. I really like just drinking champagne ah, and enjoying right. it, but, but and cider too, but like cider and oysters are, are very uh, underappreciated. I put them almost right there with, with champagne and oysters. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how apples got to this country and then to this state, like a little bit of history I think would be interesting for people I know there's a lot of history. Yeah. Let me just say that. Yeah. Maybe we get them a little bit of an overview. You know, we've all grown up with apples. They just like been around forever, but yeah, not they, really. They definitely, especially if you're sort of Michigan and East, um, apples just seem like they've just always been here, right. but they certainly have not. Um, and I mean, the 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 very brief overview of <laughs> of um, their their uh, trip across the world um, starts in Kazakhstan around. Um, the border of China and the Tian Shan Mountains. That is where we we've been able to trace the apple to, um, and that part of China slash Kazakhstan is on the Silk Road. Um, and so, as humanity moved through um, through Asia and brought brought um, things along with them, either they or their um, animal uh, their animal friends. Uh, ate things and, and brought seeds, um, apples started to move uh, westward. And so... Um, like crab apples are the only apples that were like here. That's, that's right. I mean, they and they were brought. Um, and, I mean, they came along with, with, yeah. the, with the Europeans. Um, so that was the so, first... Like, in the U.S., in yeah. The US, so, right, I mean, yeah. they, as apples traveled across the Silk Road, they weren't apples the way that we imagined apples. Uh, okay. and, and I've actually been to Kazakhstan. I've been on the border of, of China and Kazakhstan in, in the Tianjin Mountains and seen the apple jungles that are there. And so it's it's hard to even describe it. It's certainly hard to visualize it if you haven't seen it. Um, but you have to imagine, you know, millions of acres of apple trees um it's not an orchard; it's a jungle. So it doesn't um, look like what we, no, in our mind's eye, would have. No, and, and and it's important. Do the to, apples look the same? No, they don't. Um, and maybe they look. I mean, they kind of look like anything you could imagine, except for the grocery store right. um, variety. <laughs> yeah. They don't look polished and right. and perfect. Some of them um, look like quince, right? Are they kind of quince? Yeah, shaped? I mean, all different sizes and colors um, and tastes. Um, and so it's important to understand that you know if you seed an apple. You don't. If you seed a Macintosh, you take the seeds out of your Macintosh and you plant them. You don't get Macintosh. Right. Um, you get n- a new new apple variety, one that didn't exist before. So you are standing in millions of acres of apple trees, and none of those trees are the same as the one next to them. Um, and so it's really that's human. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so cool. That's it's crazy. And and, it's, and that's like that's why when you want to duplicate trees, you have to graft. Yeah. So right. it's, mm-hmm. it's human. It's human preference and in, in in intervention that's created apples as we know them. And so. As as people started to taste these apples and find ones that they liked, um, then and and grafting also sort of. I mean, I'm giving a this is a very abridged history, but <laughs> you know, as tech as as technology call it, um, you know, introduced grafting to humans. 
Um, they be they they were able to replicate apple varieties. They brought them with them. There's you know all kinds of evidence of orchards in in Roman times. Um, and and then in Spain we kind of have, we have the like oldest known cider hard cider mm-hmm. production you know written down in some book. I don't know the date off the top of my head. There's a great book. Um, called American Cider uh, by Dan Pucci and Craig Cavallo that, that actually just came out. They, they tell a lot of these stories, um, and they're more more historians <laughs> than I am. But, um, you know, at some point, these apples were taken across the ocean and we, uh, for the express purpose of cider production, not for kids kids' lunchboxes to go to school. They were brought over to make hard cider. That was that was their point. Ah, so it wasn't even for eating. No, and that's that's kind of why you know it's considered to be like the American colonial beverage mm-hmm. is because it was you know especially without safe water sources, you know uh, large right. scale farming. I mean, it's a safe, low, typically a low alcohol, safe, secure, and mm-hmm. large production beverage. I mean, an app, one apple, I mean, one mature apple tree can give you a lot of fruit. Uh, we have heard more in the last I don't know five or ten years about fermentation. Suddenly it's been like the big thing. You know, sure. it's like, you know, kombucha and everybody's talking about all how healthy it is. And, you know, you've been cooking for a long, you know all about it. You've been obviously uh, doing what you do, Ryan, for a long time. But can you talk about the fermentation process? Like, I don't know if people know what happens and how we get from this to that. Sure. I mean, so there's a couple different ways um, that fermentation happens. Alcoholic fermentation, which mm-hmm. is, you know, taking... You know, the most basic way to describe it is sugar creates alcohol, but you need yeast in order to do it. So yeast eats sugar and they output alcohol. Um, and, and then another way that it can happen is, is, is bacterial fermentation where you're, you're usually changing an acid. You're not um, creating alcohol. Mm-hmm. So when you, do, when you do create alcohol, you can have an alcoholic fermentation and then also a bacterial fermentation. So, for instance, a cider has malic acid. So I'll ferment a cider um, to dryness. So say it's about 7% alcohol. There'll be a secondary fermentation. If I allow it to happen, which is bacterial, it'll change the malic acid into lactic acid. Oh. And that's that. That's real basic stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, then you can also do that bacterial fermentation in food, which is where you more that you're more like like around pickling and and things like that and so um, and and that'll be that'll happen with salt um, that introduces bacterial fermentation and so I, and it's it's cool to hear you say that it's coming up so much because what's great about especially bacterial fermentation is that it's pretty unstoppable mm-hmm. i.e. it's very easy to have happen <laughs> um, and you know you can leave something out it'll start fermenting very quickly and right away. Um, and I, and what's cool about that is people can harness that and they can mm-hmm. do it at home. And so, yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, like Noma over in Copenhagen, if you follow them on Instagram, I mean, everything's about fermentation. They put out a book on fermentation. Um, there's, there's books about Koji coming, uh, Koji bacterial fermentations happening right now. Um, it, it's just like, it's everywhere. It's accessible. Sandor Katz is another person. It's just like, if you want to know how to do home home pickling and home fermentation, then pick up any Sandor Katz books and you can be, you can become an expert <laughs> at home fermentation with your food in, in a matter of minutes. Well, there's not um, much food. There's not many meals you can eat in your life that don't involve fermentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. I mean, just from, from bread to, yeah, to, I mean, think about just the every, sandwich that has a pickle on the side of it, yep. you know, sauerkraut, kimchi, 
you know, soy sauce. I mean, it's just, it's vinegar. I mean, how many, how many, you know, dressings have vinegar? It's just, what, I mean, imagine, imagine a, a culinary world without vinegar, yeah. just that alone. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, fermentations everywhere. So you're right. It's, it's certainly on brand. I think that the recognition is more uh, uh, on brand right now. It's not like there's more fermentation going on in cooking. Yeah. I think it's just more awareness about it. Well, I think it's happening. I, what I love, and it's the same with cider, what I love um, as what happens at the home. Like, what mm-hmm. are people doing yeah. in their house? That's a good point. You More know? home cooks are messing around mm-hmm. with and it. And that's, that's what's cool. That's when you know it's, like, happening. Yeah. And so for, for me, um, you know, with cider stuff, I'll, like, I'll judge cider competitions. I always opt to do judge the home cider maker. Oh, that's cool. I want to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to, when I, when I fill out, if I, you know, fill out the form, it's like, it tastes like this, smells like this. And I do it to, like, you know, and I write my email at the bottom, ryanburkeatangryorchard.com, um, and I and I'm sending it to people that are professional cider makers. They're like, you know, oh Ryan, I don't know if I can swear here or not, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I won't. Um, but you know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, Ryan, really? Come on, man, you, you smell it. You know, the, the people get defensive. I email, I write to a home cider maker, and I say, ah, oh, here's some things you could do better. Mm-hmm. I get an email from that person, like, thank you so much. Right. Yeah. You know, wow, like, I, I thanks mm-hmm. for giving me your email. I appreciate the reach out. Thanks for helping me. Um, there's, there's no defensiveness. So like, I like that space. And I think, I think, um, and when I know, when I see that people are doing it at home, that they're working on it, that they like really care about it, that they want to make it better. Um, I find that to be exciting. And I, and it, and it shows me that like cider can be really easy to wrap your head around and, Mm -hmm. and get excited about. And I think fermentation, when it comes to foods, same thing, you know, you can get quick results. So like you can have um, a cucumber taste great, but man, if you make a pickle, it's mm-hmm. actually, it's like way, it's so much more interesting. Right. And if you read a book real quick, similar to my email to a home cider maker, you know, pick up Sandra Katz's book and read it real quick. Your pickle goes from like, not very good to really good very quickly. You get immediate results and then you're like into fermentation. What else can I do? What else yeah. can I try? What other flavors are out there? And that, and I, and I think the people that are interested that way, you know, make, the whole thing better. Uh, so for me, what, what's happening, you know, at home in the kitchen or in the carboy with the cider maker or, or the brewer, you know, home brewer, home distiller, whatever it is, home winemaker. Um, I, I just love like digging into what that is and why people are excited about it and how they take the next step to make it better for themselves is, is always cool. Now, Ryan, you have judged a lot of competitions, and you've also been judged. As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you, just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app. Judged in a lot of competitions. So... They, you know, I guess like without, you know, too, being too specific because you're not criticizing somebody on a form right now. What do you find is a common criticism of yours to cider makers at large? Like, what do you think the, you know, professional cider community is doing um, that you would like to see less of or more of, you know? And, I mean, and obviously be kind, but yeah. in which you are as I'm a person, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what do you, what would you like to see? Uh, Cause I'm sure when you, t- you taste I mean, I've done that, but I've done like, you know, high school cooking competitions and I'm, and like, I, I try to like always, you know, 
do the same thing. You like, you know, kindly say like, Hey, you know, take it easy, you know, season like this, do that. What, when you are judging, yeah, you know, what do you find yourself kind of always saying? What are you like, man, I wish they would do less of this or the cider's flawed. Be, be, be more. I mean, that's one. I mean, I know be more sanitary and sterile in your environment. Don't let this bad yeast in like, yeah, there, I mean, a lot of that, it, it, you know, it, when it comes to professional cider making, there's such a, you know, you can be a professional cider maker tomorrow if you want. <laughs> um, and so there's a big wide range, which is like, that makes it exciting. There's the smallest to the, you know, there's a thousand gallon and a 10 million gallon, um, <laughs> you know, range. And um, there's a lot in between. And so the steps that you take to improve your process or grow your business are, are certainly your own. Um, what I care the most about as a taster is balance. Um, I certainly have my own views on what balance is, but I also, I try to remove myself when I, when anytime I do any judging from like my preference, because if it was about my preference, I would have a hard time being the head cider maker at, at Angry Orchard. Um, what is you know, your we, personal preference? Well, I like, I mean, I mean, I'm a seasoned cider drinker. I've been, I've been with cider for a long time. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I really love, um, I love ciders that are very expressive of, of fruit and place. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, 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 and a cider maker style. So I can be interested and swayed in all kinds of different directions, but I, I want to taste something that, um, if, if it's about the cider maker style, um, I'm still, I still want it to be in balance. I'm still looking at like fermentation technique and, and I, and I taste all that stuff very quickly. Um, I can put that aside though and, and just say that I really like ciders that don't have much in the way of the apple. Mm -hmm. Um, now that's, then that's a great way to be for me, but I mean, I do make cider for all 50 states and some countries, some other countries. And so I have to take a lot of people's preferences into consideration when I do things in that world. Um, and that's fine. And that's exciting. And I like, and I like it and I like to do it and I like to make it. I like to provide that service as I look at cider making as hospitality, mm -hmm. the same way that, that James looks at what he does as hospitality. Um, so I'm not necessarily like, I know that the thing that I like the most is not the thing that the most people like the most. Yeah, but <laughs> there's no, there's no way. You that. also are further along in the, on the tasting spectrum. So yeah. if somebody's having cider for the very first time, yeah. you know, angry orchard crisp is a good example. Yeah, You're 100%. like here, cause this is the taste like it has alcohol, but it tastes like apples. I couldn't, I couldn't be more proud of that cider. Right. To, to be totally honest, it is to me. Um, and I, and I would say like, to answer the sort of what I'm always looking for, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, seasoned call it cider makers, craft cider drinkers. They probably say English or crisp is too sweet. Um, and it is a sweeter cider. That's absolutely true. Um, but it's also a cider that's balanced. And so for me, that's the key. So it can be sweet and there's nothing wrong with it being sweet as long as it's also balanced by, in this case, some acidity and some some tannin coming from traditional bittersweet cider apples. And and that's the key to that cider. And it's the story I really like to tell about it is about 40% of that cider is made from traditional um, European hard cider varieties grown for the express purpose of cider production, not for eating, heavy in tannin. And if you took that out of the mix, that 40% of that traditional cider apple out of the mix of Angry Orchard Crisp, it wouldn't taste the way that it does. It'd mm -hmm. be real flabby and sort of uninteresting. And most cider drinkers, I mean, it's the largest cider brand in America. Um, most people that drink it don't 
know this part of it, but it, it doesn't really matter. It's the thing that makes them like it, even though they don't know it. Right. And I love that. And I celebrate that. And so it, it also like, it opens up the conversation for me to be like, well, this 40% of the biggest cider brand in America, which is, which is our brand, the thing that matters in all of that, even when the brand team doesn't necessarily understand this, that's the thing that matters. That's what really matters. And that's how I find purpose in what I do, because I can take that 40% and apply it to all these little things we do. Um, and ultimately gets me at the table with James, you know, bringing completely dry ciders made almost entirely of these apples. And that's our story. That's sort of the angry orchard cider story from the smallest production cider I make in Walden to the largest cider that is produced in America. Um, it's all about these apple varieties and it's just served in different ways. Um, yeah. So I look for, I don't necessarily look for those varieties because they're hard to find. Um, not everybody grows them, although that's changing. American cider is bringing these varieties into the, into the field. So you're seeing more and more of these traditional, call it European hard cider varieties with, with, with tannin and elevated acids. Um, they're great, and I'm very interested in them, but I'm also – I'll drink a Macintosh cider that's 100% Macintosh, you know, made in Michigan. Um, it doesn't have to have any of these, these like, hard cider varieties in it. But what I am looking at when I taste it is how balanced is it? Um, is the sweetness against the acid? What's the aromatic profile? And is it all in balance? And when it's in balance, I'm going to like it. Even if it isn't, even if it has hops and cinnamon in it, which is like not my preference, you know, I don't, I, like I said, I don't want anything to get in the way of my apples. Right. However, most, you know, the larger cider drinking community is drinking, you know, cider with peaches and mangoes and strawberries and hops and all kinds of stuff. It's an innovative industry. Um, and I can drink it and taste it and enjoy it, um, without it being what I have in my home fridge. Mm -hmm. It's all about balance. That's Good answer. And it's like eating an apple. I feel like, you know, an apple is a sweet fruit. You don't eat it to get an incredibly savory experience. You want something fresh, crisp, and sweet. That's why you eat fruit. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree with that at all. It was a nice way to dodge the question of, you know, criti criticizing your industry at large. But good job. Ba I mean. <laughs> balance. No, My balance. raw answer is balance. Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, I don't need to go past balance. No, that's like, good. As long as it's in balance. I don't really care what it is. Yeah. Um, it could be any drink, um, but I, I want to know that, or I want to taste it and be like, this is a balanced drink. No, that's good. Um, it has, it, it, you know, it, it has, it has weight behind it. It has, it, the sugar isn't too high to overpower, you know, the delicate nature of the apple, you know, the hops aren't so oppressive that I think I'm drinking beer when I'm drinking cider, um, et cetera. Yeah. How many different varieties do you grow? On your sixty acres, and how do you decide? I mean, it, yeah. so it takes a long, it takes a while to grow an apple. So, yeah, it does, if you're yeah. going to introduce a new variety or something, how mm -hmm. what's that process like? Of I want to start growing these, and that's for a future thing, obviously. Yeah. But um, what? How many varieties? How do you decide what you're going to grow? So, yeah, the we have a we have a we have thirty, like thirty seven to forty something varieties growing right now. If <laughs> take a look, some, it changes, but right around there. Um, there's a couple ways we make decisions around that. Um, so, you know, I came onto Angry Orchard in 2015. We bought the property in Walden then, and, and that didn't exist when I, when I left Michigan and went out to New York. And so we put trees in that first year in 2015. Some of those trees had been 
picked before I walked in the door. They'd been in the nursery for two years before I even oh, they were already planted. worked okay. there. Well, they hadn't been planted. They came out of the nursery in 2015 and we planted them in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so the idea with that first planting um, was to have kind of a, a, you know, a menagerie of, of um, interesting, you know, old European cider variety. So that's actually the bulk of the, the varieties, there's like 25 different varieties in a very small planting, just a couple acres. And so it's really cool and it's interesting. Um, it'll be, it's fun to play with, um, but it isn't, it's certainly not the way you would plant a commercial orchard. So, um, and that's, and that's because, you know, there's three of these and 10 of these and six of these and 15 of these, and it's just kind of like all over the place. Um, so it's cool to see. And when we bring people through the orchard, there's all kinds of different colors mm-hmm. and shapes and they're blooming at different times. Um, and, the, you know, it looks cool on its face, but from a production orchard standpoint, <laughs> you know, three of these next to five of these next to 12 of these and they all bloom at different times and they all are, you know, that you kind of don't want that to ma- from an orchard management perspective. So we kind of have these two acres with with a ton of different varieties, but then as you as the orchard expands, it narrows very quickly, and those are those are the trees that I um, that I have put in the nursery and 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 planted, um, and I I have varieties that I'm interested in that I that I you know that I the varieties that brought me to cider that made me excited. Um, I, I plant a lot of those, although I don't just like kind of do it willy nilly. Um, these varieties, they're they are European varieties and sometimes people forget that they're not of this place. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll put a lot of varieties in that might grow well in England, but that doesn't mean they're going to grow well here. Um, luckily, both in, in New York and, and in Michigan, we have um, great university extensions. Oh, right, and yeah. so there's a lot of work that's already been done. We have interested... Um, so it's kind of you know, like they figure out if this is going to work. There's work that's been done, yeah. Nikki Rothwell, who's at MSU... Um, has done a ton of work around varieties that work well in northern Michigan and Michigan in general. Um, the same goes for Cornell. Um, we've got a great extension program there. Um, Greg Peck, who who leads that program, um, we work really closely with Greg um, and his students to find varieties that work well. Um, that's it, a great. It, it, that's a great name for an Apple, you know, professor. What's Peck? that? Yeah. That's incredible. You know, yeah. Did he like, is that like, you know, and then Tim Bushel yeah. over at Harvard. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it goes back what, what's, so Greg runs the program at Cornell now. He actually was a student um, of Ian Merwin, who was there before him, who who's been doing this work for the last 30 years. So we're not starting from scratch. There's, you know, historical precedent. I can, at least I can speak for what's happened in New York state um, for varieties that grow well in our region. And so Say there's a list of ten varieties that grow. We know we know to grow well. They're more or less easy to manage. You know they they don't require tons of input and or we know what they need in order to produce fruit well. So say that you have this list of ten and I look at that list and I'm like, okay, well six of these are interesting. Let's let's double down on those varieties um, in partnership with Cornell. You know based on the research that have been has been done for a few decades. It's a pretty safe bet, so let's just go. And so, you know, like I said, we have a couple acres of of, of a variety of different fruit, you know, 20, 25 or so different varieties. And then expanding out from there, it's more like just a few varieties. And for me, 
the orchard management part of that is really important because um, we are cider makers, um, but we have we, we aren't apple growers. And so um, Jeff Christ, who we bought that farm from back in 2015, he and his family still are there working on that orchard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jeff's the third generation to farm this particular piece of property. You know, he he never thought that. So 40 years ago, he put the trees in the ground that were there when we bought the the property. Now, 40 years later, he's tearing them out and putting new varieties. And he never expected that he would do that. He would never, never expected to be growing hard cider varieties. And in fact, when we first bought the property, he kind of wasn't that interested in it and really wasn't going to be involved. But because it, it has turned out to be really interesting for him and his kids, they're really involved. And, and so we have this wealth of, um, uh, this family resource that not only has generations behind them, but has generations in front of them um, that are really interested now in this hard cider thing. And so we, we want to make sure that the orchard makes sense for them to farm. Um, and so narrowing the vi- varieties was, was, was really important. And ultimately, you know, it's cool to taste a million different varieties. There's so mu- there's so much out there, but you can also be reductive. And sometimes it's about just having tannin. Sometimes it's just about acidity. Sometimes it's just about sweetness. And I don't want to discount the interesting nuance of all kinds of different apples because, trust me, I love that. Um, But I also, um, over time, I've just settled on, um, you know, varieties that bring me what I need to create the balance that I want. And so I don't need a thousand different apple varieties to do that. Um, Just like a winemaker doesn't need a thousand different varieties of wine. In fact, usually they just need one or two and they make, you know, single variety fermentations out of it. It's my, here's my Pinot Noir, here's my Chardonnay. Um, and I can do that with single varieties, but I usually like a blend of a few varieties to make a complex drink. Um, well, yeah. In most winemaking regions of the world, the really lauded wine, I mean, yeah, you're talking about maybe, maybe four varietals in the whole region yep. and the bulk being 99% of one. Yeah. And I, and for me, it's like, it gets real confusing real fast for the drinker. So part of what I do, especially as, you know, as, as a, you know, volume leader of cider, you know, we're thinking about, you kind of have to try to, it's impossible, but you have to try to think about everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, if I throw 30 apple varieties at everybody, they're going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? And they're not going to care. And they're not going to care. Yeah. And so like the, so reducing the noise is important. And it, it's not just for the, like the national cider drinker either. It's also for the apple grower who's, I mean, I have a very particular situation um, with the Chris family, but let's say you're, you know, you start your cider company tomorrow and you're like, I want some apple varieties. I'm going to go talk to the grower. Here's 50 apple varieties I want with no information or historical precedent or, you know, research on them. I want these 30 varieties. I saw them over in England. Grow them for me, you know, Michigan apple grower. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? Um, and you make it confusing, off-putting. It already, these apple varieties actually already have like a, a little bit of a negative shine on them because people are, people think they're hard to grow. Um, and, and they can be if you don't put the time in, you know, go talk to Nikki uh, at MSU and like <laughs> see the work that she's already done and and follow along because we need to make it easy for the grower. We need to make it then easy. Like the cider maker almost kind of doesn't matter in this part. Like you should be able to take any apples and turn them into cider. Hopefully it's good. But the grower needs to grow the 
the fruit and grow it well. And the drinker needs to give, you know, needs to care. Mm-hmm. And so it's no, there's no point in, in doing, you know, putting 30 different varieties in that don't grow well and are also expensive to grow when the drinker doesn't care. Doesn't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have to get the drinker to care first. So it needs to be a bit reductive and easy to understand um, for the drinker to care at all and make it worth doing this at all. Oh, one final question here, yeah. Ryan. Um, talking about the drinker, mm. which is ultimately what this is all about, yeah. is whether or not someone's going to drink it. Somebody who has never, they're just like, I just never had a desire to drink it. What would you say to them to, to introduce them to try it and what they should look for and just to get them acclimated to the new taste? This is a different taste for some people. So yeah. can you talk about that? I mean, I don't separate cider and food. Um, that is just, that's the way I experience all of this. And it's, you know, my experience, my journey with cider has always been alongside food. For me, food came first and then I found cider and then I never separated the two. Um, and so I think, you know, cider isn't one thing and it often is compartmentalized as one thing. It's many things. And we talked about all kinds of different styles, um, in the last, the last half hour, um, it, it can be so many different things. So it, it can serve, um, it can serve as, a, you know, that you can find enjoyment with it alongside kind of anything. Um, and so where I think it shines the most is alongside cuisine. And, and I say that sort of loosely, um, as, you know, a great, a great cider and a great burger, um, is a, is a great thing. And so, I think the entry point for drinkers is around food. And I just, I know like no matter what you eat, I have a cider for it. And no matter what it is and who you are, if we can taste the food, I I can bring a cider to the table. And when you eat that food and you drink the cider, the cider is better, the food is better. Um, and And I think that's the entry point. That should be the entry point. And what I really like about cider um, is that it, you know, you can't really spend more than like, 30 bucks on a cider, maybe 45 bucks, um, for like an ice cider or something, but it's pretty affordable, um, which makes it like, it, it makes it, it can show up at places that are a little more accessible and it's not that wine can't be accessible, but they sure are like trying to be more accessible right now as a category, canned wine, draft wine, you know, they see that there's this space that they're not in. That's the, historically it's the beer space, um, and certainly now it's the cider space too, um, is like the best cider in the world kind of costs like $30. <laughs> the best champagne in the world costs your mortgage. Um, at least. you know, and like last night at the dinner with James, you know, I, I brought a cider that's done in champagne style, method champenois, you know, it's $30. It took me four years to make it. It's, you know, it's a beautiful drink. It does everything that champagne can do. Um, and it costs 30 bucks. So like you can, you can really enjoy it. It's accessible. It's available. Um, we don't have to be at a three Michelin star restaurant to have it. Um, you could be in your backyard. And, and I think that's key to cider, like the opportunity for ciders to be everything that wine can be, but more accessible to everybody. And the, and therefore, you know, alongside food, that's more accessible. So yeah, I think if you want to dive in and you want to get in, you know, you can do a little bit of research to find out what your cider might be like and bring it alongside your favorite thing to cook. Um, 
and and there it is. That's that's ciders. That's where cider brings the most joy. I think. You can find out more about Ryan Burke's work as a cider maker at angryorchard.com. Our thanks to Ryan for talking with us, to you for listening, and... We would like to thank La Marca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight. Joan Isabella is our executive producer with producer David Lyons and assistant producer Lisa Brancato, editing by Rowan Nemisto. Production support provided by Studios on the Pond. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.